Welcome to Hack to Start, a podcast focused on interesting people and the innovative ways they achieve success. I'm Franco Variano. And I'm Tyler Copeland. Each week we speak with a new guest about how they created, hacked, and hustled their way to the top and distill their insights and experiences for you. The path to success isn't always linear. Hack, start, and repeat. This episode is brought to you by Breather. Find beautiful, practical spaces that you can reserve on the go. Ghost, a simple, powerful publishing platform that allows you to share your story with the world. And SoundCloud. Hear the world sounds. You're listening to episode 63 of Hack to Start. This episode features Atlee Clark, the head of App Store and third-party development at Shopify. Tyler and I wanted to invite Atlee onto the show to share her story and insights as an entrepreneur and startup leader. Atlee studied U.S. national security and strategic communication, then moved to the U.S. and ended up leading the C100 to help Canadian startups meet successful Canadian business leaders in Silicon Valley. Over the past year, she helped grow and scale Shopify's app store and enable e-commerce in new areas. This is going to be an amazing episode you won't want to miss, so let's get to it. Hey, Atlee, thanks for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. So let's start off by getting to know a bit more about you. Where are you from? What did you study? And how did your passion for entrepreneurship develop? Yeah, so I grew up uh, just outside of Toronto uh, in the lovely suburb of Aurora. Uh, and I studied in undergrad. Uh, I did a politics degree. And then I ended up doing a master's uh, a couple of years later in U.S. national security. Uh, and that will all come full circle at some point. But uh, my, you know, passion around particularly entrepreneurship really stems from a desire, even from a young age, to be around smart people. And, and by that, I, I remember even when I was a kid, seeking out adults to talk to adults. I always, I really actually love being in conversations where I feel like I know the least about something. Uh, and what that did was continuously take me to places where I felt like I could find more and more of those people. Um, it took me to do my master's in U.S. national security. Uh, it took me out to Calgary, actually, uh, which uh, is for, I guess, American listeners, sort of like Texas, uh, but with snow in Canada. Uh, and I moved out there at the height of the boom, uh, you know, when people were making $35 an hour to work at McDonald's, because I really felt like with all that youth and all that money, you know, there must be interesting things happening there. Um, and it's the, that passion it ultimately led me to the mecca of entrepreneurship uh, here in the Silicon Valley. That's awesome. That's a great description of uh, of uh, Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> I try to say that with love. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. So, um, you know, before we get into uh, what you're currently doing with Shopify, you were previously the executive director of the C100 for uh, over four years. So for those who might not know, uh, what is the C100 and how did that opportunity come about? Yeah, so the C100 uh, is an amazing organization that uh, was born out of a desire by a number of Canadians who lived here in the Silicon Valley to create uh, a better bridge and landing pad for Canadians seeking uh, 
investment, advice, partnerships here in the Silicon Valley. Uh, you know, it was the idea uh, to venture capitalists Chris Albinson and Anthony Lee uh, and a number of other great Canadians who are here, including Catherine Barr and Robert Simon, etc. Um, you know, they, they saw this need in 2008, particularly, uh, you know, Nortel, the last bits of Nortel were being sold off. Venture capital in Canada was dead. Uh, and they just saw this continuing need for Canadian tech companies uh, to connect here, to get money and partnerships to help build their companies. And they thought the best way that they could help uh, those companies was to go out and find the 100 most successful Canadians in tech who are here. Uh, it's a crazy statistic, uh, but the estimate is there's about 300,000 Canadians who live in Northern California. Wow. <laughs> That's 1% of the Canadian population, maybe a little bit less now, but, uh, and that, and that does not include Hollywood. That is, you know, North, North of Big Sur. Uh, and so go out and find the 100 most, uh, successful and, and the ones who are most willing to give back to Canadian technology companies, uh, create a formal organization of those people. And then, put on activities to connect the best Canadian startups to those people. Um, and so uh, how I got involved was I finished that degree in U.S. national security, which uh, was an exercise in uh, intellectual exploration, but ultimately uh, in the process of completing that degree, I realized that's not what I wanted to do uh, for my life's work. Uh, so again, that passion led me to, uh, to here, to San Francisco, and I just started meeting people and fortunately met a couple of these founders of the C100, and they told me about what they were doing, and I thought it was an amazing mission. And, you know, I said to them, this is great. And you guys need someone to run this because, you know, they were all executives and, you know, senior partners at venture firms. Uh, you need someone to run this and it should be me. <laughs> and, you know, I had just arrived in San Francisco uh, and they're, they're sort of like, sorry, who are you? And I said, don't worry about it. I only have six months left on my working visa. If you don't like me, you don't even have to fire me. I will be <laughs> deported. And so... It's, it's fine. This is like, this is a low risk uh, decision for you guys. And uh, luckily they took it. And a couple months later, they thought I was valuable enough to actually get me a visa. So that was good. <laughs> uh, and thus begun the C100. So I guess technically I was employee number one uh, and was the only employee for a couple of years. Uh, but when I finished about uh, just over a year ago, uh, we were up to four employees uh, with about a million dollars in uh, incoming revenue, lots of different projects and initiatives. And, uh, and it, you know, Joanne, who took over from me, has, uh, has taken the mantle and, and is doing even more incredible things now. That's awesome. So what was your day-to-day -day role like there? What does an executive director uh, do? It's <laughs> a really good question. Uh, so when I started, it, it was sort of like being a startup founder. Uh, I did everything. 
as I said, you know, the founders and the members acted like a board and I was completely operational. And so it was everything from dealing with fundraisers. So, you know, all of our, all of our income came from private industry. And so there was a lot of time, you know, talking to lawyers and banks and, and people who would fund us on, on what we were doing and why it would be valuable to them. Uh, to meeting with startups, uh, I probably talked to about, on average, four startups a day. Uh, either ones I knew uh, who needed help or new ones who I, I was getting to know. Uh, it might be it was a lot of meeting with these, what we call charter members, who are those 100 most successful uh, people in tech. So, you know, I had amazing opportunities because I got to go and sit down with Patrick Pichette, who was the former CFO of Google, um, Chris O'Neill, who is now the CEO of Evernote, uh, tons of VCs and people like Michelle Zatlin, who's the founder of Cloudflare, uh, and just, you know, get them involved. Uh, so it was, it was a lot of things. Uh, and it even, that's the glamorous part, I guess. Uh, but it also included, you know, when we'd have board meetings, I would be the person writing the budget, presenting the budget, and also, you know, buying the sushi to feed everyone for dinner. So it was, it, it, crossed all, all roles and all jobs. Cause if I didn't do it, no one was going to get, do it. Yeah, for sure. And, and since you were the only one for, you know, the only official employee, I guess, for such a long time, um, how did you handle the transition from, you know, policy into tech, uh, but also, you know, make the time and, and pick the right activities to have an impact and help the organization grow? Uh, you know what, that was always a, um, a balancing act. Uh, there was a lot of learning for me at the beginning, uh, which is what drew me to it in the first place. Uh, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have told you what a Series A was before I started. Uh, and now, you know, I can walk you through every stage of funding <laughs> all the way through an IPO. Uh, so it was a lot of learning up front. And I think uh, where I was fortunate, but also what I really leveraged was these people who were so dedicated to the, the cause and the mission. So, you know, these, again, investors, executives, and entrepreneurs who knew the, knew the pain, knew that the hardest thing for a tech founder back then, I think this has changed a little bit, but back then uh, was about getting access. And I really needed to understand what were the most important pieces for a founder to uncover or access and then focusing on those things. So it was, it was a lot of listening to people's experiences of the, diff the challenges and the difficulties of raising money, getting partnerships, uh, in a, in a cross border, uh, in a cross border reality. So I know you mentioned it a little bit, but what were some of the biggest lessons you learned during this time? Yeah, um, I think, and now I've said this a couple times, but I mean, people are the biggest, the, the biggest learning here, uh, especially right now uh, in technology specifically. There, there's a lot of wannabes, and you have to be able to identify people who bring you value and who you can 
return that value. Um, and if you can navigate all the people you meet uh, that way, you will you will be successful in the sense that you will build a positive and valuable network around you that not only helps you, but you give back into it. And I think the other big learning, and, I, and it was time, amazing amounts of time I got to spend, especially with founders at many different stages uh, of, their, of their growth, was that there's a time for hustle and everybody talks about, you know, you just got to got to keep going, especially as a startup founder, you know, you just got to go, go, go. Uh, but there's also a time for patience. And it's those that know how to employ both patience and hustle at the right time that end up being the most successful. And so learning and understanding when to just pause and take a breath, I think is uh, one of the characteristics that I've seen in the most successful people I've been able to spend time with and I try to employ in uh, my life and what I do now. That's an awesome point. Great advice. So you're currently the head of App Store and third-party development at Shopify. For those who may not know, what is Shopify and how did this opportunity come about? Yeah, so Shopify, uh, we provide software to small and medium-sized business to sell online, offline, uh, and through social. So if, uh, if you run a business and uh, you, you, Tyler, you make scarves, let's say, mm -hmm. uh, you can come and use Shopify software to uh, give yourself an online presence and a store. Uh, you can sell on Facebook, and we've recently announced Pinterest and buy buttons and Facebook and all kinds of things. Uh, and really, we run all the things in the background for you. So all your payment processing, inventory, uh, and everything that it takes to run a successful business. I've been seeing a lot of uh, Shopify the last little bit, and it's really cool to see how you guys integrated the e-commerce solutions into things like Pinterest and, and Facebook. So to go beyond that, so what is a typical day like for you at Shopify? Yeah, so uh, similar to C100, uh, a, a <laughs> typical day is not a thing. And I know you guys hear this a lot on uh, your podcast. Uh, but, you know, what I do at Shopify is I oversee our app developer program. And what that means is that there are uh, just actually just over a thousand now uh app partners that build technology integrations into Shopify. We have an app store where our merchants, and that's, you know, our customers are merchants, uh, where our merchants can go and discover uh, new functionality that they can put into their store, integrate with their favorite other technologies like MailChimp or some shipping solutions. Uh, and we have an entire program to get people to come and build those apps and build those integrations. Uh, so we, I oversee the developer experience with Shopify. Uh, so that's both attracting new developers to the platform, but then also serving the ones that we have currently, helping them uh, market themselves and continuously uh, update and improve their technology integration with us. 
I also uh, oversee the merchant experience with apps. So uh, we have an app store, as I said, so that's where a lot of merchants go to find apps. Uh, but we also work with our communications teams to uh, find ways to, m to appropriately market those apps to our merchants. Uh, a good chunk of my day is spent talking to various product leads inside Shopify. So figuring out what we're doing uh, in terms of new products that we're rolling out and if those new products will have uh, a component that we'll be able to expose to third-party developers. So for an example, we recently, you know, we recently launched POS, so you can have a Shopify point of sale system. And in that, we've also been able to release uh, an SDK that allows app developers to build apps for our POS. So my team would work with the POS team to uh, get you know, the documentation and the information out to developers so that they can start building apps for POS specifically. So a lot of time with them, uh, time with our communications and content team, trying to figure out how we either attract new developers to the platform or how we get apps into merchants' hands. Uh, one of my favorite things from C100 was... Uh, you know, talking to startups. And, and luckily in this job, I get to do that again because the Shopify app ecosystem is a really amazing place for anyone who's building a tool for a small to medium-sized business to come and launch their products, uh, either for a user acquisition strategy or a go-to-market strategy. Shopify has 175,000 merchants, so it's a great place uh, to, to come a, and launch your company on because you'll, you'll get in front of those 175,000 merchants, uh, from day one. So, uh, talking to startups gets, is still a part of my, my day and my life. And that makes me really happy. Wow. That sounds a, like a lot of fun. Yeah, it's, it, it's <laughs> great. And uh, I mean, Shopify, we're moving at such a crazy pace that, Talking to product leads sounds easy, but every day it's changing. And uh, so it's always, you never know what's going to come out of a conversation, which is, uh, which is exciting. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Franco and I are both from Ottawa, so we've been able to see Shopify grow from just like a five-man team to, to what it is today. So it's been a really, really great story. Yeah. And well, that was the interesting thing is that when I started at C100, um, the first event I ever put on for C100, we invited four of Canada's, uh, I think we called it four of Canada's rising technology stars to come and meet with US investors. And that was the first time I met Toby Luque, mm -hmm. who is our founder and CEO. And literally, that was about a month after I started at, uh, at C100. And uh, met Toby, was instantly uh, impressed by him, and subsequently, uh, you know, met Harley. Uh, you know, they were 25 people at the time, and, uh, you know, worked with them in C100 context for four years. And then... Uh, and then one day, Harley just called and said, all right, it's time. We, we need you to come work for us now. We need uh, you. Yeah, we, we need you. And, <laughs> and it, was, it was a no-brainer. 
So it's full That's circle. Awesome. Exactly. So what is experiential commerce and why do you think it's going to be so important? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, experiential commerce is consumers having experiences where they buy things in places that they didn't expect before. So if traditionally, you know, before, let's say before the internet, right, you would go, you would decide you needed, you needed something and you would go to the store and go buy it. Uh, when department stores and malls became a thing, you might, it might be an activity, you could go and you might not have something in mind, but you'd be, you go and do the act of shopping. And when the internet and uh, e-commerce started, it reflected that behavior. So, you know, we go onto the internet and I'll go to J. Crew, and because I want a sweater and I go and I buy it, I do the act of shopping. And, you know, places like, sites like Amazon sort of brought that mall feeling, or I don't know, the big box store feeling of you can get anything, right? And you can sort of start exploring and going down weird rabbit holes and, and find things you never knew you needed. Uh, but I think where we're starting to move is a place where you're doing other activities in your life and commerce is becoming a part of them. So a really good example of this is, do you guys know the Strava app? Yeah, it's an awesome app. Yeah. yeah so, so it's a bike, you know, cycling tracking app. And for anyone who doesn't cycle, it's, it's very popular amongst uh, cyclists of varying skill sets. But definitely hardcore cyclists are really into it. And one of the things that Strava does is every month they release a new bike jersey. And they call it their Fondo series. And each month it's a different design and a different color. But the only way you can buy that jersey is if you cycle and record those miles in their app. So you have to cycle, I don't know how much it is, let's say, hypothetically, it's 5,000 miles. But there's no other way for you to buy that jersey. And as you can imagine, you go on you know, that last ride, you ride 40 miles. At the end of your ride, it says, congratulations, you have ridden 5,000 miles this month you are entitled to now buy this $120 jersey. And then right there in the app, you can say, yes, I want to, I want to buy that because I just, I want that, you know, to recognize that accomplishment. And that's commerce inside an experience. You didn't get on your bike to go buy something. You went on your bike just to go ride. But through that ride and your integration with technology, you ended up buying something. Uh, another really good example of that is these Amazon buttons. So like the little ones that you put on your fridge or your dishwasher. And if you need more Tide, you just push a button. So that's in, you know, in the experience of cleaning your kitchen, you run out of dish detergent and you just push a button and get it. Uh, I think we're going to just see a lot more of that and a lot less of, I'm going to sit down at my computer to do e-commerce. I know that sounds like a really, really cool concept, like the Strava whole experience. It's like you're rewarding yourself with this, you know, jersey, and then you're able to make the transaction right there and then, which is, uh, it's really cool. Yeah, and, and technologies like Apple Pay and Android Pay just take us into a new, a new reality where you can really start blending technology-enhanced activity with commerce. Mm-hmm. So, so how does the App Store and third-party development contribute to continued growth and success of Shopify? So the way that we think about third-party apps uh, at Shopify is that 
we really provide what most people need most of the time. And that's how we make our product decisions and that's how uh, we approach roadmap and all those kinds of things. And then we depend on our third party ecosystem to build things either for niche markets. Uh, you know, there's, there's some really interesting stuff in the, you know, needs for, let's say, bands uh, who need merchandising, uh, you know, on-site merchandising sales. Uh, interesting things just for the liquor and alcohol vertical because uh, they have really strict tax compliance and weird shipping rules. Uh, there's solutions out there for those kinds of people that we won't build. So we look to third parties to build those kinds of, those kinds of solutions. We also look to third parties to do that sort of bleeding edge technology stuff. So, you know, there's a really cool app right now in our, in our app store called Kit that allows you to do Facebook advertising and marketing via SMS. And so it allows a merchant to connect to their Shopify and to their Facebook account and basically create and publish an ad Facebook ad all through text message. And it's just, it's a really interesting, different way that people are approaching marketing. And uh, it's great to have something like Kit in our ecosystem because, you know, we give that, um, that kind of capability immediately out to our merchants and, uh, and they can play around with that kind of bleeding edge technology. That's really cool. So how many apps are on the App Store right now for Shopify? So we're just around a thousand right now. That's really cool. Yeah, uh, and they cover all different kinds of categories and and different functionality. Uh, and really, there's there's something for everyone in there. So you joined Shopify a year ago, and you just went through an IPO a few months back. What was this experience like for you? You know, not everybody gets it chance in their life to go through an IPO. And I feel really fortunate that I got to experience it. It is an insane amount of work, <laughs> uh, particularly for the lawyers and the finance people and the executives. Uh, and, and watching that and, and being a part of that and, and helping where, where I could was really rewarding uh, experience to go through. Uh, I think you know, living here, I actually have a number of friends who have gone through IPOs um, over the last couple of years. Those companies will remain unnamed uh, because they did not have good experiences. Once the company went public, uh, everybody turned into a, you know, making money, focusing on the quarter end, all, all the bad parts about being a public company. And I have to say, you know, we're, I guess, a couple quarters in now. And the executive team has done an amazing job of keeping Shopify Shopify. Um, obviously, there's things that we can't do that we did before, like talk about our product roadmap publicly or announce things uh, or tell people about things before they launch. But otherwise, you know, inside Shopify, it feels exactly the same. Uh, people are told to, we're all told to act like owners and, and people do, you know, you're an intern at Shopify and you, you can go into the code base two weeks in, 
we've been able to stay true to our culture that way. And I, and I think that is a difficult thing to do. And I think they've done it really well. And at the end of the day, it's a financing, you know, event. <laughs> it's just, it, it's great. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, but you know, we still all have to work and work harder now because everybody's watching. So, uh, it, it was it was really fun, but you know it just it was a ticket to the big leagues, and and so now we're in the big leagues, and we have to fight and work harder than we ever did before. That's awesome. So what's next for you and Shopify? So, uh, I mean, I think our announcements around Pinterest and Facebook uh, are are showing our interest in social and social buying, and we're going to continue to work with both Pinterest and Facebook on on those kinds of technologies. I think. Those uh, really show what we believe is sort of the democratization of commerce. Uh, so even four years ago, uh, big integrations with big social companies uh, or new, really interesting new technologies was privy only to those that had giant budgets, right? Your, your Neiman Marcus, your Hudson's Bay, your you know, you had to be a big brand in order to, to access that kind of technology. And I think what we're really trying to do at Shopify is say, it doesn't matter if you're one guy making, you know, custom axes, which is a real thing. They do very well on Shopify. Um, it doesn't matter if you're just that one guy in his garage making custom axes. You can compete against people with giant budgets, both for marketing and technology. And so we're constantly looking for the ways that Shopify can bring those, those partnerships and that technology to small business. That's awesome. That's really cool. And uh, I'll have to check out the, the Axe store. I hadn't come across that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. It's a good one. There's a lot of beards in a lot of the pictures. It's, it's, it's good. Well, yeah, you got you to have the beards for sure. Absolutely. Um, so so along that along that same vein, I guess, that same path, uh, what are some of the most recent apps you've downloaded or used? And what are some of your favorite either Shopify stores or products that are sold through Shopify? Yeah. Um, so by apps, do you mean Shopify apps? Uh, no, like well, apps well, yeah, on my they, phone. yeah, apps on your phone, apps on your computer, anything. And it... um, so uh, I'm a big Strava user, so there's one example. But I've never gotten to the place where I can actually buy the jersey, so <laughs> <laughs> I I really need to do that. Um, so one thing that I changed about six months ago, and this seems so simple, but it really has changed my life. So I I feel like I always need to tell people about this. Uh, my friend Matt Switzer, who's uh, VP of Corp Dev at Hootsuite. Uh, I was complaining to him about email and, you know, trying to download every email organization app ever. And he, he just switched me to uh, Priority Inbox on Gmail, uh, you know, and he has 10, 5, and 5. So you're, you can only see 10 unreads, 5 starred, and then 5 important. And then you just constantly triage your unreads. Works like a charm. And I, I really believe nobody needs to download another mail app ever again. So I guess that's, that's answering your question, but it's, but it's also copping out a little bit. Um, I'm a big fan of Pocket. I do a lot of error uh, travel because I go in between San Francisco and Ottawa and Toronto a lot. Uh, and so it's when I get a lot of my reading done and Pocket makes it super easy as I'm cruising the internet just to 
be able to fill my many, many hours in the air with, uh, with longer reads. Oh, stores. Okay, right. So stores on Shopify, I'd say my, one of my favorites, uh, I just actually bought a whole bunch of stuff from them, is a company called Susty Party. And they do biodegradable one-time-use party decorations. Uh, so you can imagine really cool um, like pla plates and cups and even uh, tablecloths, but they're all biodegradable. So you can do a party without <laughs> having to do dishes and feel okay about it. And they have really, like their, their aesthetic is really nice. And, and so if you're holding a party, I would suggest them. Um, Shore Project, which makes these beautiful watches uh, and they release new ones. I'm not sure exactly the tempo, but they, they're really, really beautiful. And, and I would encourage anyone to check them out. Uh, and one other one is probably Verve Coffee. Uh, it's a coffee shop down here based in Santa Cruz that I just adore. And they do coffee, coffee subscriptions on their Shopify store. And they have a decaf, which is my favorite decaf. Uh, and it's called Vancouver decaf. And I don't know why, uh, but it is, it's, it's, so it's a little connection, Canadian connection. So I, I like that too. Those are all really cool, really cool apps and stores. I'm gonna definitely have to check out some of them. Does the Verve Coffee ship to Canada? That's a good question. I don't. I'm know. on the website right now. and I'm trying okay. to figure out, but uh, okay. it's really yeah, good. There's, there's a couple local subscription uh, sites here in in Toronto, so I'm always curious to see like the coffee ones when they when they come across my radar. Yeah, well, I I suggest it highly. <laughs> so, do you have any recommendations on great content that you've read recently? Like books, videos, and maybe a blog post? Mm -mm. So, uh, okay, the last business book I read, which I found extremely valuable, uh, was Difficult Conversations. The author, there's a couple authors, one of them is named Douglas Stone. Uh, and it really, it just gives you an amazing perspective on, on how to have difficult conversations. We all have them not only from delivering, you know, bad news or difficult news uh, as a manager, it's extremely helpful as a manager, but it can also be really helpful uh, in, in when you're in a situation where someone else is trying to have a difficult conversation with you, um, either peered or, you know, someone you report to. Uh, and I've just found it really, really useful and on top of that, actually useful in personal life too. So, so it's a double whammy. Uh, and so that would be a, a sort of a, a nonfiction business book I would recommend. I'm a big fiction reader. And the last fiction book that I read that I would recommend to this audience is, is something called Boys in the Boat. And it's about the 1936 American rowing team that went to the Olympics in 1936 in Berlin. And it's just this amazing story of uh, underdogs, teamwork, and dedication to not perfection, but for um, appreciation of design and elements and how pieces of a puzzle work together to produce 
amazing results. And the writing is, um, is amazing. You think, you know, reading something about rowing races might be really dry, but it is so exciting. And, uh, I just think it's a, it, it's a, a book that I think a lot of people would really like. And, and there's probably some, uh, life and, and maybe even business lessons in there. I'm going to say my favorite podcast right now is a mystery show. It's from Gimlet and Starly Kine who hosts it. And she just cracks me up. She basically takes these mysteries that you can't solve by going on the internet uh, and solves them for people. And it's just pure entertainment. And But in this uh, really intelligent and hilarious, dry sense of humor kind of way that it just, it makes my day whenever it comes on. That's awesome. Those are some great recommendations, especially the, uh, the book about the rowing. I'll have to check those, those guys out and, and we'll make sure that we link to, uh, to all those things so other people can find them as well. Yeah. The one, can I do one other? Oh yeah, no, sure. Another. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut yeah, you off. No, no, no. I just have what, no, no, no. I was like, I, cause I was trying to think of a video that I've seen, you know, that wasn't trying to cover um, all the bases or something. <laughs> um, so in 2013 at actually, uh, this is a C100 event, Accelerate Ottawa, Toby Luque, founder of Shopify, uh, did a talk, um, that, that he called, the pursuit of greatness, and it. I would encourage anybody to, to to watch it. He has this really interesting approach to thinking about personal development and achieving bigger and bigger things. And uh, it's such an amazing blend of his, you know him as a German who now lives in Canada, mixed with being the leader of, you know, a giant technology company now. Um, and it, and it really, when I, I was actually there when he did it in, in, in person and it really changed the way I thought about my career and how I push it forward and how to, how to recognize when something is difficult, whether it's difficult because I don't know how to do it or it's difficult because I've entered a next stage of my development. And um, it's just, it's really good if you just, it's on YouTube. It's Toby Luque, Accelerate Ottawa 2013 or something. And it's, it's really, really good. Awesome. That's cool. So do you have any last thoughts or personal models that you live by and you think others should know about? One, I think that is important important, um, is not being afraid to do a complete 180 on whatever you're doing. Um, you know, in product development, we talk about this a lot of making sure that you're not doing something just because you've already put a lot of effort into it. Like if you get to a point and you're like, this isn't the right thing, it's okay to stop and not, not do it that way just because you've put months of work into it. And I think it's the same with, uh, your, your career or your story in, in just waking up one day and being like, you know what, like, this isn't what I want to do. And essentially that's what happened to me. I was, you know, at an expensive U S school doing my master's and woke up one day and thought, this is not what I want to do. And I, and I'm so happy that instead of saying, well, I put know, tens of thousands of dollars into this education. And I thought this is what I wanted to do for eight years that I was okay with 
saying, just drop it, just go and find what you want to do. Uh, because in the end, uh, you'll be happier, you'll probably be more successful. Uh, and that investment always serves you, even if it's not apparent or explicit. The things I learned in grad school and, and learning about US national security has actually helped me in ways I never expected. So don't, don't be afraid of that. If you've gone to law school for four years and you don't want to be a lawyer, don't be a lawyer. Like, that's okay. Uh, and so, so do 180s. And the only other thing I'd say, <laughs> I'd say is then just fake it till you make it. Um, I've changed what I've done a number of times and always uh, take it on things that I didn't know tons about and uh, just, just say yes in a meeting and then go Google it later. <laughs> Absolutely. That, that's a great advice. I've done that a couple times too. <laughs> Always say yes first and then figure out how you're going to deliver. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And you'll, you'll figure it out. Absolutely. Well, Atlee, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us. This was an amazing episode. Really enjoyed uh, having a chance to speak with you. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Well, that's about it for this episode of Hack to Start. You can find all the important links beneath the show. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Hack to Start and sign up for our newsletter to know about all the latest episodes, behind the scenes content, and more. Thanks for listening and see you next time.